So I probably don't have to tell you this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. But I'm, I probably don't have to tell you that in our culture today, it's really difficult to get a group of people gathered together in a, in a room and get them to agree on something. Would you all say that that's the case? Well, I could probably say this, though, that all of us probably agree on this, especially in our culture. We're, you know, regardless of your background or where you're from or what language you speak or what, what initial uh, uh, culture you originally come from or, or wherever it is that you might call home, we could probably all agree on this. We agree that there is a physical world, right? This is something that almost everyone agrees, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, a believer or a non-believer, whatever your faith tradition might be or non-faith tradition, everyone agrees that there's a physical world. There's a world that we can experience with our five senses, right? That we can see and touch and taste and hear and smell. There's a world around us that science can examine and explore in all sorts of different ways. But once everybody has agreed that, yes, there is indeed this world that exists around us, there's another group of people, including Christians, who would say that there is, in fact, even more to this world than just that what is physical. There is more to this world than just the things that we can see in either a telescope or a microscope. Christians would say that God created, yes, the physical world, and he also created another world. The spiritual realm, if you will, a part of our world that we don't necessarily see or experience with our five senses, but a world that, all, that still does exist. God created both the physical world that we inhabit and the spiritual realm that you could say exists behind that physical world. That there does exist spiritual beings and forces that we may not be able to see with our eyes or grasp with our hands, but that we can sense with our spirits. You see this a lot, especially in, um, in, uh, in uh, people who are in the millennial generation or younger. There's a lot of interest in the spiritual world, the supernatural world, right? They, people might not call themselves Christians, but there's this awareness that there's something more. And people seeking to try to understand what is that realm, what is that world? You know, in the Old Testament, there's this story about a, a man, his name was Elisha, and he's a prophet, and Elisha, he lived in the nation of Israel during the time when Israel was at war with another nation nearby. This nation was known as Aram, and uh, Aram is actually where modern-day Syria is located. Well, Aram is trying to attack the nation of Israel, but they, can, they keep failing. Every time they try to attack, they, their plans get thwarted, and here's why. Because the prophet Elisha is listening to the Spirit of God. That's part of what prophets do. They are in tune with the Spirit of God and are able to then communicate what God's desires are from the spiritual aspect of this world into the world that we all inhabit. Well, Elisha is in tune with God's Spirit and communicating to Israel what the plans of the king of Aram are, and therefore they can't seem to ever successfully attack Israel. So the king of Aram comes up with a totally new plan. He says, if I'm ever going to be successful at attacking Israel, i got to take out Elisha. And so he sends his entire uh, army, chariots and soldiers, to go and find and surround Elisha. Well, they find him, and the next morning they wake up, and Elisha, the prophet, he has a servant. The servant wakes up, and he goes outside, and what does he see? He sees this massive enemy army surrounding them. And he uh, flies into a panic. 
But Elisha, he stays calm and he delivers this powerful line to his servant. This comes from 2 Kings chapter 6. Elisha says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now you can imagine his servant thinking, oh, what in the world are you talking about, Elisha? Totally confused. Are you serious? There's all kinds of enemy, enemies surrounding us. What kind, of line, what, is that, what kind of statement does that mean? And then we're told this, the very next verse. It says, Elisha prayed. He prayed, Lord, open his eyes so that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and when he looked, he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. In, in this story, God grants Elisha's prayer and allows his servant to glimpse the reality of the spiritual world. He, he's given this ability to see around him the God of angel armies. He sees the army of God, the presence of the spiritual world around him. See, the Bible explains that there is so much in our world that is indeed animated by things unseen. Sometimes the Bible calls these things powers. Sometimes the Bible refers to them as forces. Sometimes the Bible calls them spirits. And to say that something is spirit means that it is not physical or material. In fact, in both Hebrew and Greek, this is, this is you know, a little extra for you. In Hebrew and Greek, the word spirit also is the same word for breath or wind, right? And it's this idea of communicating that there's something there even though you can't see it. A spirit is not physical. It's not material. You can't grab a hold of it with your five senses. You can't pull it apart or piece it back together, put it under a microscope and study it and examine it. It's a part of a different area of existence that God created. Now last week, if you were here with us, last week we took a look at 1 John chapter 3 and we, were, and we ended that chapter by saying this, that John explains that an indicator that you are indeed a Christian is when you have the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. This is what he said. If, you, if you're looking at your Bibles, 1 John chapter 3, look at that final verse. He says, this is how we know that God lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. John's acknowledging and recognizing the presence of the unseen spiritual God is present in your life. The Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit's presence that enables and motivates Christians to obey God and to love others. Some of you have experienced this, right? Times when you are living or doing or experiencing aspects of what it means to be a Christian and you can't explain why. It's like something else is just driving you or leading you. We sung uh, opening songs about the joy of the Lord, right? There's moments when we experience joy and there is no good reason why you should be experiencing joy. But yet you have this joy that comes. Why? Because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And we could think of all kinds of other examples where the Spirit's presence in your life leads us to live out part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, even when you can't seem to ex give a good explanation as to why. Right after John makes that statement, he then has to acknowledge 
that there are people in this early church community that he's writing to in the book of First John. He, there's, there's, there's people who are claiming to be Christians, claiming to be followers of Jesus, but when you step back and examine their intentions and their motives and their actions, they appear to be motivated or enabled by something totally different than the Holy Spirit. There, there appears to be people who claim to be Christians but don't seem to be functioning as if the Spirit of God is present in their life. And John then goes on to explain at the beginning of chapter 4, which we're going to look at in a second, that there are indeed spirits and forces and powers in this world that are not from God, which then begs the question, which is what John wants to address in this text, how do you know when something is or isn't from God? So with that being said, go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. We've been in 1 John all summer long, and we're working our way through this, this short little book week by week. And we're now in the fourth chapter. There's only one chapter after this left as we move through this. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. John writes, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. But we are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. So there at the very beginning of that section, John first and foremost explains that there are indeed spirits who are not from God and yet are still motivating and enabling what John calls false prophets. This is a big theme throughout the story of scripture. What does it mean to be a false prophet? A false prophet is someone who deceitfully claims to be filled with the Holy Spirit and therefore claims they are from God. Someone who deceitfully claims that they are in tune with God's spirit and then tries to claim that whatever it is that they say is information coming from the spirit of God. So we looked at Elisha at the very beginning. Elisha is not a false prophet because he's in tune with God's spirit. But a false prophet is someone who claims to be in tune with God's spirit and yet is not and therefore communicating stuff that is incorrect and in error. We talked about this a few weeks ago that the situation that John is writing into is a situation in which there are people intentionally trying to deceive this early church, claiming that they have a gospel that is different than the gospel given to them by the apostles. Therefore, they are not from God. Now, false prophets show up in all kinds of places. They can be motivated and driven by all sorts of different unholy or unhealthy spirits. Most likely, there's false prophets in every denomination and segment of the church, including our own. People and ideas who claim to be driven or filled by the Holy Spirit, which claim to be from God, but aren't. 
Just a few examples. You ready? There's false prophets who claim that being a Christian will make you wealthy and healthy. There are false prophets who say that following Jesus automatically requires that you need to either hate or condemn or even show violence towards a certain group of people. There are false prophets who claim that the gospel of Jesus is equivalent to the American dream. And when you really look into it, you discover that they're worshiping the Constitution more than they are Jesus. There are false prophets who will take key doctrines of the Christian faith handed to us from the apostles and simply dis discard them in order to move forward their own agenda. Well, here's what Jesus had to say about false prophets. He said this in Matthew 7. He said, watch out for false prophets. They will come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Paul, the apostle Paul, a contemporary of John, is, is wrestling with, you know, who is ultimately behind both false prophets and others who are teaching something totally other than what Jesus hand to, to, handed to us. And here's what Paul reminds us. He says this in Ephesians 6. He reminds us that those of us who are following Jesus, our struggle is not against flesh and, flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Do you see Paul is getting at the same idea? This realm, the heavenly realms, there's a realm of existence that God has created that is populated by powers and forces and spirits that are seeking to oppose God. So what do we do? If it's true that there's a spiritual realm where God can communicate to us, if it's true that the both good and evil spirits exist, if it's true that false prophets are active in this world, if it's true that our struggle is in fact against spiritual forces of evil, how in the world are we to navigate this world? Because if not every spirit is from God, then what are we to do about it? Well, here's what John says. He says, test the spirits. Take a look at verse 1. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. So knowing how to test the spirits is a, is a task, is a, is a practice, if you will, that's essential for Jesus followers. How do we learn to test the spirits within our world? Now, classically, this is known as discernment. Perhaps you've heard that word before, too. What does it mean to discern the Spirit of God? How do you discern when something is truly of God as opposed to being something of, of something else? You're discerning whether a particular feeling, a particular idea, a motivation, an opportunity, a desire, an impulse, whatever it might be, you are discerning whether that comes from the Spirit of God who is within us or comes from another spirit. You're testing something to find out its quality, to find out its origin. Where did this idea come from? Where did this motivation come from? Where did this impulse come from? Did it come from God or did it come from something else? Now we do this all the time, whether, you realize, whether we realize it or not. Let me, let me give you a few examples. We test our ideas and we test our motivations all the time. How many of you liked the idea of fact checking your news, right? Come on, you see a story on the internet and you think to yourself, hmm, is that true? 
And what do you do? You test the story. You test the sources. You want to find out whether this is an actual source that comes from a reliable place before you choose to believe it. Some of you, if you've ever tried to lose weight or control your diet, you do this all the time. When you test your impulse to eat, right? You suddenly realize that you're reaching for something and you want to, you want to snack. And then you find yourself saying, wait a minute, why am I doing this? Is my body actually hungry or am I just bored and I want to put some food into my stomach? Right? You're testing the source, the origin of what you're trying to do. Those of you who are introverts probably do this every time somebody invites you to go out and do something. Right? Do I really want to go? <laughs> or am I just going because I don't want that person to feel, uh, to feel upset or to feel bad for me? You're, you're questioning what's the real motivation behind why I want to do. We test things all the time in our lives trying to seek the source, the motivation, the origin behind it. So likewise, Christians, we are called to regularly test the spirits to determine their true source, determining whether something is indeed from God or from the evil one. It's sort of like when you go to the grocery store and you're trying to pick out a good piece of fruit, right? You find that watermelon. I don't know how you test a watermelon. You knock on it or I don't know. But, but you're trying to make sure that it's not rotten inside. Or you pick up that thing of strawberries. Any of you have gotten the strawberries? You get home and then the bottom ones have mold on them, right? You, fa you failed the test. You didn't test the fruit to, to determine whether or not this was good quality fruit on the inside. Is this true? When you're testing the spirits, you're trying to determine that the spirit is not rotten inside. That it doesn't just have the appearance of being from God, but it, that it actually is from God. Because when we fail to test the spirits, what ends up happening is that we allow spirits that aren't from God to actually end up controlling us and leading us and, and guiding us. Which is, what ends up, which is what leads us into uh, times in our life where we're just completely consumed by anger. You're angry and you don't even know why. You get to this point where you just feel like you can't even control it. It's just the, the next person you see, you just, you're just the anger just lashes out. Or the spirit of sloth and you become just so uh, ridiculously dis with, uh, without any motivation whatsoever to want to do anything. Or the spirit of greed and power, the constantly trying to put other people down. Almost to the point when, when people become consumed by these spirits, it's almost as if they're not themselves. And we could go on and on and maybe you've experienced this where you've actually felt caught up in these spirits from the evil one that are completely controlling and guiding you in a place and you don't even know why. Testing the spirits is about avoiding the rotten spirits in this world. Spirits that seek to diminish the name of Jesus. Spirits that seek to enslave us. That seek to shame us. That seek to fill you into a place where, or, or, or lead you into a place where your life is controlled by guilt and fear. So how do we test the spirits? John says first in verses 2 and 3, he says, This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. That's the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. So first, John says, and this almost seems too simplistic, but it's true. The first question to ask is, does this spirit or this, this spirit behind this person or this institution or this idea or this movement or whatever it might be, does that claim to be, if this thing claims to be from God, does it acknowledge that Jesus is indeed the Christ? You see, in the, in the, in the first century where John was writing, there were people in this early church claiming that Jesus was not indeed the Christ and then building from that idea a whole new way of living. 
The primary, that's the primary problem John was addressing, that there were people teaching false things about Jesus. And so the first thing to, or first way to identify a false prophet and identify an unholy spirit is to determine what they believe about Jesus. It's almost a, a quick litmus test. What does this idea, movement, person, whatever it might be, philosophy, what does this person or, or, or claim about Jesus? Now, to ask this question, it assumes that you know the right answer. <laughs> you can't ask the question, what does so-and-so think about Jesus, unless you have already made up your mind in some sense. You can't test for fresh fruit unless you know what fresh fruit looks like. You have to first examine your own convictions about Jesus before you can go about testing the spirits of others. Your view of Jesus will affect every other aspect of your life. Those of you who have been Christ followers for a long time, think back to the times in your life when you did not surrender your life to Jesus. It affected everything. Your marriage, your singleness, your parenting, your sexuality, your vocation, your employment, your money, your emotions, your ambitions. Christians say, all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. It's a way of giving yourself over to Jesus and saying, everything that you call me to be, I will seek to be. Everywhere that you call me to go, I will seek to go. Everything that you call me to do, I will seek to do. And I do it, why? Because you are my Lord and my God. Jesus, if you really are Lord of the universe, how can I not surrender to who you are? So what do you believe about Jesus? Do you too, with John and the early church, acknowledge that Jesus is indeed the promised Christ, the Son of God, who came to pay the price for your sins, who gave his life on the cross but was raised by the power of God through the power of the Holy Spirit on the third day, and that through him you can indeed find forgiveness of sins and salvation and eternal life? Do you believe that? If you don't, may today be that day. You say, I really do believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and I give my life to him. In order to test the spirits, you have to first know who Jesus is. Well, next, as John kind of moves through this, he says that when we test the spirits, we're also trusting that God's power is greater than those spirits. He says this in verse 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. That word greater, it literally means stronger. That the spirit of God is stronger than every other potential possible spirit that, that might be there. John is saying that the Holy Spirit that God gives to those who, fought, who, who surrender their lives to Jesus is stronger than any other spirit that there is. Spirit of slavery, spirit of addiction, spirit of fear, spirit of anger, on and on and on. The Holy Spirit is stronger than every other spirit. Now here's why this matters. If you really stop and acknowledge that there are indeed spiritual forces of wickedness, which is what the apostles Paul said in the Ephesians text, if they really do exist, confronting and testing them ought to be terrifying. And here John is reminding us that the power of God is greater than their power. That the power of evil, the power of spiritual forces of wickedness has already been nailed to the cross and been defeated. 
Because on the third day, when the heartbeat of the resurrected Jesus began beating once again, the spiritual powers of this world realized that they had lost. And if that's true, then the spirit of God that is within you is greater and stronger and more powerful than any kind of evil spirit that might exist that seeks to confront or overcome you. John says that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is in you and is stronger than those spirits that seek to crush your life. Trust that God's spirit is powerful enough to confront those evil spirits that exist in this world. So when you test the spirits, do so with a confidence that God is for you, not against you. Let's take a look at the final few verses, verses 5 and 6, where John says that those, those other spirits are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. Whoever listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. You see, part of learning how to test the spirits starts with listening to God. How do you determine that something is not from God? Well, do you know what God sounds like? Have you been listening and entering into the presence of God? If somebody calls you and they sound different, you, you find yourself questioning, is this who they say they are? When we test the spirits, we are seeking the spirit of God, and the only way that we can actually know that it is of God, after we've asked what do they believe about Jesus, trusting God's power, do we know that this is of God by listening to who God, and how do we do that? We, it, it begins by listening to the spirit of God in scripture. Get in a place where you are silently sitting before the word of God and allowing the spirit of God to speak to you through his word. The witness of the Holy Spirit will never contradict the witness of God's word. Let me say that again. The witness of the Holy Spirit will never contradict the witness of God's word. So perhaps what that means for you today Go home and read your Bible. Go home and just start reading your Bible. If you aren't reading your Bible, you'll have nothing to determine how to test the spirits against. So read your Bible. And if you aren't, start. Read your Bible and let the word of God dwell in you richly. Read your Bible and discover the spirit of God speaking to you. Those of you who have never read your Bible before, I guarantee when you start to read it, you are going to discover things in th that you will not be able to explain other than the fact that something is now at work in your life that you've allowed yourself to enter into. When you read your Bible, God will work through that, that, that practice to form you and, 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 and mold you into who he's created you to be. Read your Bible and hear who God is. We are in a spiritual war every day, friends. Wherever you might be, school, work, home, wherever it is, when you get online, when you watch the news, when you, even in the midst of our own denomination, there is all kinds of warfare happening behind the spiritual forces that the Bible talks about. Trust the power of God's spirit. Trust the power of God's word. Test the spirits, as John says, every day. The old hymn says it best. That when we're seeking to test the spirits, we need to make sure that we're doing everything we can to turn our eyes on Jesus. So I leave you with this. Turn your eyes to Jesus. 
Look into his wonderful face. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, testing the spirits can be intimidating. And yet your word tells us to do this, commands us to not be afraid to test those spirits that exist in this world. Where we have doubt, will you give us faith? Where we have fear, will you give us courage? Where spirits that are in in our lives are affecting us, spirits of hate, condemnation, judgment, spirits of greed, fear, lust, Lord, will you overcome by the power of your spirit? May we all surrender to you, turning our eyes to Jesus, the one who is greater than every other spirit in this world. Amen.